0: Hello there, and welcome to episode thirty-two of Neil Before Odd. I'm your host, Audrey Kearns. Thanks for joining me. Now, I have been on hiatus since the early November. I've been gone a long time, and I have my reasons. I have my reasons for this this long break. You know, there was the holidays. Um, I got the flu. I liked it so much. I then got it twice. So I had the flu twice in six weeks. It was fantastic. And then my mom fell down and broke her hip. So it was a great hiatus. A lot of good stuff, fun stuff, family, building stuff, character strengthening, things going on. But it's all good now. I'm better. Mom's up and around. And I'm back in Los Angeles with the first episode of season three. I can't believe it. Season three of Neil Before Odd. And it's a really good one, this episode. Uh, for my season premiere, I have screenwriter Bob... DeRosa. Bob wrote the films The Air I Breathe, Killers. He also wrote on the television show White Collar, and those are just a few of his credits. He's also a prolific playwright and improviser, and the list goes on and on and on and on. In fact, right now, right now, you can go catch his fantastic horror and comedy web series called 20 Seconds to Live. It's a must watch. It's, a, it's an absolute blast. Make sure you go and find that and watch it. You won't regret it. Now, my personal friendship with Bob spans two decades. We met in Florida when we were both on the Orlando theater and comedy scene, which, by the way, is was and is a great scene. So if you ever find yourself in Orlando, you know, enjoy the theme parks, enjoy the beaches, enjoy the awesome, awesome space center, but then go see some really great theater. You won't regret that either. Now, Bob, in this episode, Bob and I chat about Orlando, comedy, friendship, what brought Bob out here to Los Angeles, his fascinating experiences on movie and television sets, what keeps him writing, how he gets up in the morning to make sure he writes every day. And we also talked a little bit about martial arts, you know, and a bit about gratitude. It's great. So thanks for listening. Thanks for taking the time. It's a great interview. Enjoy it. Spread the love and share it.
1: Internet. Heed this call. Open your minds and ears and prepare
0: yourselves to kneel before odd. Welcome to episode 32 of Kneel Before Odd. I'm your host, Audrey Kearns, and this is the show where I interview geek patriots. And I am back from my holiday hiatus, which was wonderful. And now I'm relaxed, renewed, and all that other stuff and ready to start season three of Kneel Before Odd and uh getting these podcasts out weekly to you so, so to start off season 3 I have a really great guest for you uh Bob DeRosa. Bob's a screenwriter, playwright, producer, actor, improviser and longtime friend of mine. Welcome Bob. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having
1: me. I didn't know I get to start
0: this season. You get to, you are you are episode uh 32 i is a premiere. Per, you're the season premiere for season 3. That's Yay. really cool. Um now just now I said that we've been friends for a long time and I mean like I mean the depth of that, like for a really, really long time. Yeah. I mean over it spans a couple decades. Errors. There's errors. there's certain certain er- spans like, there's errors. errors. There's the, uh, yeah. And we're getting to the point even before we even started this podcast that we're at the Portland relationships, like I'm oh, back.
1: Uh-huh. My knee I'm creaking, I hurt. I hurt. I'm in physical therapy. It's
0: crazy. But you know, our we started back in Florida and now we're here in Los Angeles. Well it's
1: weird because we went to college together but didn't know each other yes! back then.
0: Yes, that's the craziest thing, because we, we were there at the same time. same time. But you were an English major, right? Or no, what, no, no, no.
1: I studied advertising. You?
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. So
1: I was in the whole uh, advertising, telecom, yeah. whatever that college was called with all that.
0: Um, yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. I know exactly where it was, All too. the
1: non-theater fun stuff. It was actually, it was a great school, but uh-huh. I mean, we were totally in... By that time, we were in different worlds.
0: That's so great. I mean, that I mean, it's school. With, what thirty, forty thousand students? So it's yeah. not surprising, right. that we didn't run into each other. But it's still kind of surprising because we're such good friends, totally. And and we would probably sat next to each other in the Wrights Union cafeteria. Oh my
1: gosh,
0: <laughs> I can't even remember. Believe I remember.
1: I used to work right. at the university box office, so if you ever bought tickets, <gasps> yes, I probably sold you tickets. Oh
0: my god, that, is that so was a Ticketmaster outlet. <laughs> that is fantastic. Um, so Bob. Before we start talking about mm-hmm. you and what you do and everything, right. I always start out each of my shows with asking my guest what their nerd origin story is. So what's your nerd origin story? Okay.
1: So what comes to mind is the first moment that I realized, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm different than other people. Um, I was, I can't believe this. I, I, my parents got me an IQ test when How I was like old four.
0: Wow. They and have them for four year olds?
1: I guess. And I'm like, well, why did they do that? I was either four or five, right yeah. around there. And I and I remember very clearly, because I don't even remember if it was, I, there, maybe there was a written part, uh-huh. but literally I was sitting in this office being interviewed by this guy. Uh-huh. And he was like an older gentleman. He was, I think he was Japanese. He had these big, thick glasses. So he was kind of nerdy. And uh-huh. he was asking, he was just chatting with me. So, like, I guess that's how you do it when the kids are yeah. that small, is you just interview them. Uh-huh. And he was like, do you have any hobbies? And I said, watch giant monster movies. And he was like, and he didn't understand what I was trying to say. And I was like, so he asked me a couple of times, like he was just very confused. And I was like, watch giant monster movies. Uh And what I was talking about was Godzilla movies. Right. And he looked at me like I was the nerdiest kid he's ever seen in his life. And I had this moment of like, is this weird? Because this is my favorite thing to do. And I'm like, and it was my hobby. So not like, you know, other kids probably said, riding my bike or playing baseball and I mean I did all those yeah, things. Yeah. Yeah. But for some reason watching yeah. Godzilla movies was my hobby.
0: Was a hobby.
1: Yes, and that's when I realized okay, I'm 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 different.
0: I'm different. I'm <laughs> different. Now, um so one of your first experiences with movies and and that kind of nerdy stuff is Godzilla. Did you um were there any other movies when you were a kid that really affected you?
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I was I was the right age to see Star Wars. We both in the were. Theater. We're
0: both of, of the generation that saw it in the theater. Right. So how yeah. many times
1: did you see the first? Did you see New Hope in the theater?
0: Uh, New Hope um, once because we were living in Hong Kong. I did not know I, that. Long story. Long story. For another time. Okay. Um, uh, a military brat.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. So we were
0: stationed there, and. Right. Um, you had to drive into the city. There's like one theater. Got it. And so we only, yeah. But I, we got a bunch of toys that Christmas, Okay. Though. Well, I yeah.
1: saw it four times. So I saw it with my parents. Then my grandfather is visiting. It was my grandpa Doris on my mother's side. And so we talked him into taking me and my mother to see it. And he hated it. He was so angry. <laughs> and then the third and fourth time I saw it, my cousin Scott and I convinced my other grandparents um, my on my dad's side, my grandpa grandma Dorosa, to take us to... I think we convinced my grandfather to take us to the theater. So we saw the movie for the third time. Then grandpa got up and he's like, time to go. And me and Scott were like, no, 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 we're going to see it again. Grandma's going to pick us up. So he left. We slouched down in our seats, waited. until they, And then we just watched it the second time right in a row. And then our grandmother came to pick us up. And the thing that I always think back about that moment was we were children. How did we figure out the scheduling and work it out and like, get one grandparent to take us and the other one to pick us up. The thing is, is we really wanted to see Star Wars. Well, I love that you got your
0: grandparents to... be part of the crime exactly, <laughs> exactly. But not also, paid. they
1: loved us, and they were they yeah. were really sweet, and we could pretty much talk <laughs> them into anything. But that was like, I mean, it's one of those things when you're a kid and you love something, yeah. you're very good at doing Absolutely. whatever it takes to, to make it happen.
0: Yeah. Did you? Um. Were you pleased with Force Awakens? Oh
1: my gosh, I loved it. I did too. Yeah. It was. It was.
0: I've seen that one three times.
1: I right. I've seen it twice. I I cried the last forty five minutes the yeah. first time I saw it. Just like, yeah. and we had a really weird experience where like. There was this dude up in the booth who had a light on his head, and he was fixing something. So he's washing light across the screen oh, and shooting it, it in is. our eyes for twenty minutes at a very expensive movie theater. Right, I, I had to run out and find somebody to, and like, so I missed a really key part ah. of the movie. So then I got to see it again, and uh-huh. and it's not a perfect film, and it has its flaws. Yeah, but it's just it's just so joyful, and the characters
0: that's key. The characters are as
1: good as I could imagine them being, yeah. and, and and if you were trying to. Create new characters for this incredible universe, and I think.
0: Yeah, and they've got legs. The new characters have such legs.
1: I can't wait to see them again. Like I love yeah. seeing the old characters, uh-huh. but I love the new characters. Yeah, it was a I'm, great passing the torch
0: because it's it's going to be about Ray and Finn yeah. and absolutely. Kylo and, and yeah. The, oh boy, it was good. I really, really enjoyed it. I didn't cry the first time. I um, I've explained it as if there is this love. Like, right when you go over the edge of a roller coaster, you get that feeling. Yeah. Yeah, It's before your stomach leaves you. Right. It's the anticipation. It's just the first breath. That's how I felt the first movie. Yeah. And didn't cry or anything. My husband cried. He was (laughs) sobbing. Right. Um, You'd probably be upset that I said that. Uh But through the movie, I heard this. (laughs) And I turned. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. And Brian's crying. And then the second time I went to see it, that's when I cried. Yeah. It just, everything, I mean, I cried. I was just like, oh my goodness.
1: Because I write movies. I, yeah. the, the first time I saw it, I was, I spent the first half of the movie just marveling at the choices. Like, uh-huh. oh, that was smart.
0: Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. a good thing
1: they did that. Oh, I'm I'm sure that that was a, that took a while to get to that idea, but that was the, the right way to do Like, I was just yeah. thinking about it professionally. Right. And then, you know. And then he starts walking towards the bridge, and I'm like, "Oh, I can't stop crying because I know what's going to happen." Yeah, and then and then I'm just over the over the. And my wife, same thing. She didn't yeah. cry at all the first time, and then uh-huh. and she loved it. But yeah. she's like, "Oh, my husband is sobbing." And next to us, <laughs> next to us was some guy, I don't know, 20s or 30s, and he. And Jen said she could feel his like his energy vibrating yeah. off him, and he's sitting right next to me, and he hummed every music cue. Wow! And it was like da 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 da, da 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 during the movie. So wow. like I'm getting like an extra soundtrack in my ear the whole time. So that his joy weird. was just
0: and fantastic. It was that, uh, that, it was that, fan- yeah, It was the best. The third time I went, uh, I went with um, some mutual friends of ours. Uh, one of them being our friend Megan, and um, she's of the first generation to right, see right. the movie too. And she had a different. You know, I was sad and I got upset at Han and everything. But when it happened, she started sobbing and it wasn't her first time seeing the movie. She'd already brought her son to it and everything. And I asked her after the movie, she goes, you know, she was like an adolescent when it came out. Uh She said, you know, and Han Solo was everything. Yes, that's right. It was everything. So it was like, it reminded me of what my stepdaughter says about watching Toy Story 3. Right. Because she grew up with that. That came out, at um, when she was a kid, then there was oh Toy Story gosh, two, yeah, and yeah. then the final one came out when she was like twenty. Right, and so I thought it was a really great movie. But she, who rarely cries in movies, was was sobbing yeah. at the end because she's like, it's you know everything is done, everything. Yeah. Th- there's a full circle there. You know, so that's the great thing.
1: I, I cried at Toy Story three. I cry at movies. Mm-hmm. I, I I cry, I cry at, at not anything. only at sad stuff. I cry at like the cinema of movies, like yes. just like stuff where it's all working together and yeah. it's triumphant. i oh,
0: Absolutely. Because, you know, it's 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 a very passionate thing. Right. And it's a very beautiful thing when things come together like that, especially when you know all the machinations, you of know, of, of what goes into a movie like right. you do. It it must be very, you know, because my husband since he's a um television writer, he does what you were talking about with Star Wars to Mm -hmm. TV shows. Okay, I see what they did there, right? Right. Yeah. So sometimes when I look at him and he's totally engulfed in laughter or something where he's able to just get into the show without thinking of how everything goes. Yes. It's like, oh, I know this is a good one. Totally. enjoying that. Um, But before you go into any uh, other stuff, I wanted to get this... uh, right off the bat, I want to talk about um, a web series that you have yes. online right now called 20 Seconds to Live. And I want to talk about it first up because I want all the listeners to know this is something that you can go listen to right now. I mean, not right now. Okay. <laughs> Please listen to the rest of the interview. But it's online. It's a web se- anthology series called 20 Seconds to Live. Can you tell me a little bit?
1: About yeah, sure. It's uh, I co-created it with, um, with Ben Rock, who's a very good friend of ours from mm-hmm. Orlando as well. And Ben, I uh, was a production designer in the original Blair Witch Project, and he's done tons of – he's directed features and viral campaigns and shorts and all kinds of amazing stuff. And um, he and I do a lot of theater together because we have frustrating careers in film and TV where we just want to make stuff. So we right. we do a lot of theater, and it was one of the moment where he was like, you know, if we can uh, put a little more effort in this, we can actually make something. And so he pitched me this idea. It's 20 seconds to live. Each episode's really short, like two minutes long. It's an anthology series. There's always a brand new set of characters, some kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And then a timer comes on screen, counts down the 20 seconds. And at the end of 20 seconds, somebody's going to die. And what you don't know is who's going to die or how. Exactly. And we try to, we try to keep it keep you guessing. Uh-huh. We try to make it funny. It's very dark. Some of them are gory. Some of them are not. Um, we, uh, our producer Kat Pasiak produced the first seven episodes, and she's amazing. And um, we got to work with some really cool, kind of like yeah. horror icons. We got to work with Derek Mears, yeah, and Graham Skipper, and uh, um, we got a lot of cool, like horror directors and cameos. We got Tom Holland, who did the original Child's Play, and he was great. Yeah, he's in it
0: for a second, and he's yeah, he yeah. And awesome. so
1: it was, it was, um, yeah. it was, it's just a, a really fun kind of. we we're, we're inspired by the old Twilight Zones and all the mm-hmm. old. So
0: would you say, so Twilight Zone, um, is it a little bit of horror meets comedy meets paranormal? I always pitch it
1: as a horror comedy. Right. And the fun thing about it, one of the reasons we love doing it is we can kind of really play with that genre. Uh So like there's all kinds of different, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a demon episode. There's an evil doll episode. There's an episode that's just a crazy accident that happens that mm-hmm. has no horror whatsoever. Right. But there's always something that keeps you guessing. There's always something that's a little bit wrong about it. Like you're like, yeah. oh, I can't believe they're going to go. Oh, they went there.
0: It's, it's- great, especially because, as, as Bob said, they're, they're, they're about two minutes long. And when the 20 seconds come up, there's a countdown. Yeah. It's a 20 nineteen, yeah, eighteen yeah. and it really builds a suspense for the audience, like, oh my gosh, who's gonna die? How's it gonna happen? Oh my gosh. We had and no idea. I- so
1: fun. We had no idea that it was gonna create almost like a game. Yeah. And somebody saw somebody watched the first two episodes like I really like the game of it. And I was like, oh, my gosh.
0: It is a game, It's yeah. a game. And so yeah. then,
1: then, then it became a matter of, as we would write episodes, it's like how can we play the game even better? How yeah. can we make the audience think it's going to be one person and then make it somebody else? And yeah. so uh, we, we try to make them fun. And because they're so short, it's like people can watch them on their phones. They can show them to a friend really easily.
0: Yeah, and- they're, they're, they're great nuggets to have, especially, um, you know, if you're working banker's hours throughout the week and you yeah. have a little break breaks. They're great little gifts to yourself just to cool, well, get you. onto YouTube or um, Aeroscope. Right? Actually, Ares? it's
1: Ariescope.com. It's A-R-I-E-S-C-O-P-E.com. It's Adam yeah. Green's website. Yeah. He did all the Hatchet movies and right. Holliston. He's a great you know, horror director in his own right. And he's been creating a lot of original horror content. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of looking for somebody outside of his family to, to bring something in and and we we heard it on a on, a, on, a, on his podcast, and I was oh, like, really? and Ben had been a, a guest in his podcast, and I was like, uh, Ben, I think he I think he wants us, and <laughs> he, not knowing, I mean, so Ben submitted our stuff to him, and he was like, oh, this is exactly what we've been looking for, and so he presented all of our episodes, which we're very pleased. Oh, that's and great. So and yeah, you can also find it on yeah. Facebook and YouTube. But-
0: well, yeah, um, I was. Um- refreshing my memory you know it's like what you said about the game the very first episode which is its anniversary called anniversary yeah that was our first one yeah yeah. you know which is where you're introduced to the that part of it you don't know it's 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 an introduction so that when you watch episode two three and four you you start trying to like play the game as you say but I, I watched anniversary again this morning and I just wanted to tell you that it had the number of views was all sixes. It was like it was six six six. six. Yeah, I saw that right before yeah. I
1: posted that on our on our Twitter account. Uh, I loved uh, it. It's at twenty STL, and um, <laughs> yeah, it was six hundred sixty six views on on yeah. on uh, YouTube right now. And we have it's weird which. Sites get the most view. Like I think it yeah, has to most you're, you're views. Yeah, because you're
0: up on, like you said. Three but, different
1: sites, and yeah. so it just depends. Yeah. Um, but 666 on YouTube, so I hope nobody else watches it on YouTube. <laughs> we just keep it there.
0: <laughs> How many um, episodes all together? We
1: did seven plus an eighth, which was a Christmas special, mm-hmm. which we got uh, Chris McKenna, who was in Reanimator the Musical, and he's, he's done a ton of TV shows and is a really good actor, and Katie Ward, who's our also yeah. a, a good friend from yeah. – uh, Orlando, and uh, it was we got to do a Christmas special, which was super was fun. And I think we're yeah. gonna tr- I think we're gonna try and do that every. It, we're, we're we're hoping to. I think we're gonna do a Kickstarter for a second second for a season. second season. And, That's and then a great if, idea. if that comes together, then uh, we'll we'll always do a Christmas special because yeah. was a fun.
0: I love that. I love that they do. do that. You know, in the UK, all the BBC shows they always have a Christmas yeah. special, which is outside of the season. Right. You know, it's like okay, you get. Ten episodes of Doctor Who, yep. but there's also a two-hour Christmas special. Well, we know?
1: stole that for our little horror show. So no, oh, I don't think so. I'm just saying that. It's a
0: great idea. It's Thanks, very yeah. exciting for 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 folks. Now, so you mentioned Ben Rock, which is um, and Katie Ward, which are both people that we met in Orlando yep. before we migrated to Los Angeles. Are you from Florida?
1: I was born in Dunedin, right outside. Oh, okay, uh, Tampa-St. Yeah. Pete area. Yeah, and then I moved around a lot as a kid, but we ended up. We were in Miami when I was like nine, and then Orlando when I was 12, and then that became home. So, I, Okay,
0: so you went to high school in Orlando. Yeah,
1: I went to high school in Orlando, went to University of Florida for college, graduated, went right back to Orlando, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where I you know, cut my teeth doing improv and writing right. and all this stuff until I moved here when I was, uh, geez, probably 31 or something like right, that. Yeah. Right,
0: right. Um, so when you moved to Orlando, I mean, were you... Doing anything on stage in high school or in college or... Because um, you are one of um, five guys, guys—I said five yeah. guys in them? Yeah. Um, who were like a, a huge comedy sensation in Orlando with an incredible cult following. It's one of the best imp- imp- improv groups I've ever seen. Um, how did that happen? I mean... Had you been on stage before?
1: A little bit. I like I took some theater in, in high school, but I right. wasn't really a theater kid. Right. And like I was also making little videos. Like my like one of my best friends, Ken Davis, and I went to high school together and we would make instead of like writing a report, we'd mm-hmm. say, "Hey, can we shoot a video?" And so <laughs> we did. We we did a lot of that in high school and that was going kind of well and I was always the kid that wrote short stories. Right. But I hadn't kind of found my medium and I tried to write a novel and I'm like, this is, I don't want to do this. I just want to write all the action and the dialogue. And I was like, Oh, I think I want to write, I think I want to write screenplays. Uh So when I went to college, Ken and I made movies and we made almost a feature length film. We did several shorts and that's kind of where I, that's where I fell in love with filmmaking. And acting was just a thing I kind of did on the side. Like I acted in our first short film. I acted in a couple shorts and I would do some weird college stuff, but I wasn't really a theater kid. I kind of, I was always coming from a from a kind of a different direction, right. So when I came, out, I got out of college and went back to Orlando. I was purely a writer director, and I was working with Ken. We had another film partner, Greg Picora. Uh-huh.
0: Uh, oh yeah, I met Greg, who's now yeah. a brewmaster. Yeah, he's a brewmaster. <laughs> Go to Wab's Hops, Hops in, uh, <laughs> in San Orlando. Yeah. It's a fantastic Where is it brewery. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, it's in uh, Sanford now. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so like the three of us were making films, and so we all were back in Orlando trying to raise funds for feature, which didn't happen. So then we made a bunch of shorts. And that's kind of how I kind of ended up backing into improv in a really weird way. I was like, but it was like, I don't know. I think that was, I think I brought something to that world because Uh I kind of was coming from a different place. I was coming from a place of being a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. So like, I think I was an okay actor because I didn't, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it wasn't like my dream, Right, like writing was always my dream, so acting was nothing but fun for me. So I like I didn't really have a lot of ego. Yeah,
0: so and can, there weren't acting stakes. No, it wasn't my free. dream. I yeah. just I
1: loved. You know, I ended up kind of falling into improv and met the exact four right dudes, and we formed an improv troupe called. Did you them. meet them
0: through classes? Is that how you yeah. met
1: them? Yeah, yeah. I, at Sac, I am. Um,
0: what made you want to take an improv class? So.
1: Um, I had. Worked at a a small theater in town and I was selling, I was basically signing people up for classes on a commission basis and I wasn't making very much money. So I, and I could hear the improv class through the wall. So I asked my boss, I'm like, Hey, I'm not making very much money. Can I take a class for free? He's like, sure. Cause this sounds like fun. Uh So I went in there, took an improv class with Ricky Mann, who um, was a fantastic improv teacher and she didn't teach a real game style. She taught more of an organic kind of acting style form Mm -hmm. of improv. And then, but I'm still making films, and I saw a show at SAC, and I saw an actor that I like. So when it came time, we did this, me and Ken and Greg did this science fiction comedy called Hardwired, and I'm like, we should get that guy from SAC. So I, I called up SAC, and I was trying to get like, you know, trying to describe the guy. He's like, kind of tall, kind of blonde, brown, I don't know. And it was Matt Young.
0: Oh, was it? Oh, and wow. Matt
1: Young was in the office with the guy on the phone trying to brainstorm who it could be. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt Young sent me his headshot. I pulled it out. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the guy. This is the guy. So I cast him and Jonathan Mangum yeah. in this short, which I don't know if you've ever seen this film. It's, I haven't. I it's have ridiculous. It. I, I have to show you. But um, the thing is, is like it's really funny, and I loved working with those guys. And mm-hmm. afterwards, Matt's like, well, I'm a teacher at SAC. You should come take a class. Uh-huh. And so I auditioned at SAC. They had to put you in a level, figure right, out where right. your skill level is. So when we were first were like auditioning they were like i need two people on stage and i was the first person to jump on stage with will Bowles.
0: oh wow and,
1: and we did a scene together and history then history begins and we, yeah and that's how it began and so yeah. will and i were two of the members of them and the other guys i met josh ian and rob i met through classes rob i didn't even meet until we all showed up for the meeting of like let's form a yeah. I, we actually were doing sketch at first uh-huh. and they were like okay everybody go around the circle and tell everybody why you want to be in a sketch group and how long you've wanted to be in a sketch And everybody's telling stories of like, I saw Monty Python in high school or Mr. Show or, you know, Kids in the Hall. And then it came to me and I was literally, um, I've wanted to be in a sketch comedy troupe ever since you guys asked me.
0: (laughs) Because it was like, I liked
1: those things, but it wasn't my dream. And so like, I was coming from a place of being a filmmaker, which was, I think, one of the reasons they were excited to work with me. 'Cause I knew they wanted they all kind of were interested in film as well. But I just was coming to this place. I was just so happy to be there. I'm like, you guys want to be in a troop with me? Okay. I'm
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. That sounds and, awesome. And we became brothers and worked together for ten years and had this massive body of work that we created together and, and we have worked together. Like I've directed Will in several mm-hmm. films. I think I've worked with all the guys in film yeah. in some way or another. And we've all written together and we've right. all been brothers as our careers have kind of morphed into different versions. But right. I mean it was it was one of those where I was just Following the fun, uh-huh. <laughs> As a, like my dream was always to be a filmmaker. Yeah, but I was like, I'm just having so much fun that you know, improv, which is life changing, of course, once you get into it. And you, if you're doing it with people that you enjoy, and Sat Comedy Lab was an amazing place to mm-hmm. learn. Mm-hmm. But then when the them guys, we kind of had to split off from there and do our own thing, and that was it was uh, life changing for all of us.
0: Absolutely, I mean, it was such an instant success, and that's about the time where my husband and I and our friends were doing Discount Comedy Outlet. We were yep. we were straight up sketch group. Yeah. You know. And so um and I remember this is before we met we had heard about you guys. Brian I think had taken a class with Will?
1: That's yep, right. I believe so. Yeah, so
0: we knew Will right and everything and then there's an International Fringe Festival in Orlando and them was doing a show there and we were doing a show there and we're just like, oh, "Who are these bozos doing comedy this is what we want to do what let's go see them and see what they're all about and and, and, and like five minutes later we're all the best of friends drinking in the beer yeah. tent because it was just so transformative and you, you guys were doing it was just it was such a good lesson in ego for me when I was that young it was around the time where I I started um you know like you were talking about doing things for fun well I was always a theater kid Went to college, you know, for theater. So Mm -hmm. there were always these stakes. There was always, you know, trying to get a part and doing this. And so you lose a part, you watch a play, and you look at the person who got the part over you, and you're just like, oh, darn. You know, where um, around that time I started going to shows and changing how I looked at things. Like, I'm going here to be entertained and to enjoy this it doesn't mm-hmm. matter that I didn't get a part in this show it doesn't matter that i 'm not involved in this show it doesn 't matter that this person's competition for me. I want them to entertain me and enjoy right. me and it just changed my whole outlook on life actually right. when you when you just don 't hold all that stuff too precious towards you guys and um, you know seeing you guys perform, it was as I said before transformative, and then you guys started doing um long form improv right. which really wasn't done in nobody Orlando nobody was doing it in Orlando with and, five people and yeah. it was it was amazing nobody, you guys had this big cult following and <laughs> sold out all your shows you guys were great
1: it was cool yeah uh, yeah. I mean we, we toured the Canadian Fringe Circuit which was life changing yeah. for all of us and I remember like I was I took creative writing 101 at UF with Pete Hurtgen
0: oh yeah like, is, who was in our group who was yeah. in your
1: group and then I, I met Brian at after a Fringe show where he was literally sweeping up confetti and 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 the thing I think the reason we loved you guys uh-huh. is like you guys did amazing sketch that was hilarious and really geeky before Geeky was in. Yeah. But also Did you like, hear
0: that? Before Geeky was in.
1: Yes. <laughs> but your guys but like your guys was hundred percent different than our stuff, even yeah. though we were obviously inspired by the same things. And I think we were also really drawn to people that were doing their own thing. Cause like we Mm -hmm. came up in a you know a theater sports company, so there's that there's there's towing the company line. There's can you move up or not? And we were all like, we want to just go do our and so we left to kind of do our own thing. But I feel like all the people that we loved and the shows we loved were the rebels Uh that were and you guys just like you you just did your own thing and and we really responded to that. Yeah, and I think we were able to be fans of each other because we were. Because our uh, aesthetic was different, uh-huh. and yet, but the quality different was still tones. high. So. so it was yeah. great
0: quality, but different, you know, tones to, to to both shows. And then, like I said, you guys started to focus on improv, and we never did improv, yeah. you know, because Brian's a great improviser and Pete's a good one too. But I'm not an improviser, so it was like let's not <laughs> get into that. You guys will you guys will hate <laughs> the outcome, um, you know. And it was um, it was great being in Orlando at that time because I think the ten years or so that we were actually were working there and doing, you know, our groups there. Um, not because of us. It, this was just happening around us that the theater community there was flourishing. Yeah, you, you There's hear- live theater and shows everywhere.
1: There were, I think about, I, I always compared it to music because there mm-hmm. were like certain towns where like if you were in Seattle on a right moment, you would yeah. saw all these incredible bands playing in crappy bars. If you were in mm-hmm. Athens, you'd see yeah. R.E.M. at the local yeah. coffee shop. And like, not to say that we were as good as R.E.M., mm-hmm. But we but, were. But we were. Um, the point is, is that we were we were a moment in time. And yeah. like, I feel, yeah. the way I describe it is like, everybody yeah. was there because Hollywood East is going to happen. They built Nickelodeon Studios. We're mm. all going to make movies. And then mm. we looked around and it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't. So yeah. we all looked around and said, well, we're all here. We're all nice people. There's not this cutthroat attitude about our town. Let's make stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we were doing improv and sketch and theater and plays and making movies. And we were all doing stuff. Yeah. And it was just a. You're right. It was a really special moment, uh-huh. and there were so many groups and so many really talented people that, and we all kind of supported each other and worked on our chops. So, like as a result, yeah, and then we'll get to LA. But like, so many of those people have come to LA,
0: uh-huh. and
1: so like Brian's running a, a TV show. I know, you know, and I've I've written movies yeah. that got produced, and like we've yeah. we've come up. To the point where we can look back and go, we started here when we were broke as hell, doing stuff just because we loved it. Yeah, supporting each other and like not having to look each other across the room and go, I hope they fail because they're yeah. really good. Yeah, no, we could all support each other and then come out here and try to do well. And
0: yeah, so- anything to lift each other up is what totally. we always did. And I've been to Orlando, back to Orlando a few times. I did a couple fringe festivals there, and um, it's still. Magical, yeah. They still have such a great theater community, and and of course, you know, I'm like the old person now. Nobody, Uh like, I'll see someone at the beer tent, the Fringe Festival from from back in the '90s. Hey, audrey oh my God, so good to see you! And I just see all these younger folks just sitting around, laughing, getting ready for their shows, and I just remember that excitement, you know, because it was really kind of like, you know, fly by the seat of your pants theater. Because as you said, we were all broke, right? So when it came to props or anything that we needed, right, especially for a sketch comedy show, it was like You know, really small budget or no budget, beg, borrow, steal kind of kind of stuff, and that's you see all these younger um, artists doing that the fringe, and it's just very exciting.
1: Well, it's also like it was before YouTube, so if it was just is either you got a TV deal or you did comedy in your hometown and tried to build an audience. So like I I meet I I recently met a young sketch troupe. They're in their twenties. They don't do live shows
0: ever. Everything's on. All
1: they do is YouTube, and I'm like. I can't imagine coming up that way and it's yeah. obviously people are yeah. doing well at it and being very successful but it was a different time where we were we just had a limited amount of resources but it forced I, us and to I don't I wonder if
0: that experience for some people can be recreated now since there is the internet and people are so focused on social media mm-hmm. and sharing stuff that you know it's I mean still, those live shows were I mean you, you can put up a video online and, and that's awesome because you know you may be able to make a living from it um, but there's nothing like doing a show to a sold-out house in some it's, basement of a building that's been converted to a theater for the Fringe Festival and, and having everybody in the palm of your hands and sharing an experience for an hour. Yeah, you know, like, like my favorite Them show was actually a Fringe one, and I don't know if I've ever told you this. I forget exactly what was, the story was. There was some kind of apocalypse
1: uh-huh. going on which <laughs> we did lots of, that tracks.
0: Yeah. Um, it was um, the was Fringe.
1: It, was it Pervious Rex? Die previous die?
0: I don't know. I don't know. Um yeah. you guys were on a theater that was on a corner and there are like rafters up high and there's an apocalypse and somebody was chasing you, and I'm sitting up on a seat and there's um it's above the audience, and there's a bar in front oh, of me. Like the, oh, yeah, yeah. And I you jump. run towards, and you jump, and you grab, and then you're like screaming in my face as if you're tr- – not to me, but you're part of – it It was your no, no. character because you're trying to escape something. And it was just
1: – I 100% remember that show. Do? Ryan Smith back in the day – Ryan Smith, also a good friend yeah. of ours – told me that at the time it was one of the two best improv shows he'd ever seen in his life. And that was a scene where we were yeah. all –
0: I'll well, never forget. There was it was a bunch
1: of guys who visit a planet. Uh-huh. And there's shape shifting aliens. Uh-huh. So I was like up on the roof cleaning the space dust yeah. off, and then I get surrounded by shapeshifters. And I had a moment like narratively, like oh, they're going to kill me. And then I was like. F that. I'm going to run. <laughs> so I turned and I, and they had that weird, cause it used to yeah. be a Vietnamese restaurant.
0: That's right. <laughs> and there was right. like the
1: big service bar that was still there. So I jumped up into your faces. Like yeah. I was literally going to climb over your head, yeah. Audrey. And the thing is, is, those guys, you know, the rest of the guys in the troop grabbed me and yanked me off. And Which was my... even
0: a g- yeah. better view for me. Yeah. Seeing your face as they dragged you away. You know, Yeah. That was, was them
1: 2000. I think that was probably like oh, the that best was, that was long amazing. form we ever did. That, was, oh. that, that run of shows was, I still, then the, because I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> the fact yeah. that you remember it, I'm like, I remember that show like it yeah. happened yesterday. That was, what, 15 years ago?
0: Oh, my goodness. It yeah. was so... so, you know, we keep uh, saying um, that we're going to get to L.A. and that they're out here now. <laughs> this person's out here at this house. Right. So over two years, I don't know, starting in, what was it, like, 99? I, I don't know. Over two years. Right. Like a hundred people from Orlando, Everyone if not left. more, yeah. just migrated yeah. over to Los Angeles, and it wasn't. It was just like, okay, we've done everything we can do here. Brian right. wanted to um, focus on writing more, mm-hmm. and I, you did as well. And um, it, we were very lucky because we had our family from Florida come to L.A., yeah. and so it was very familial. And um, we got together sea legs in L in L.A. with our friends, yeah. which was great. But you were one of the first. Right.
1: In my mind, the first generation was the Sack All Stars who came out here and like formed a troupe. Joel the troop. McCrary, Joel and McCrary, and, and Sarah. Wayne Brady and Matt and Claire, and they, they created the troupe out here called House Full of Honkies. Yes. And that was kind of the what I think of yeah. as the first generation. And I came like Will came right before me. Kevin Ward uh-huh. came right before me. Then I, but I was pretty early. I guess I would, in my mind, I was the yeah. second generation. But yeah. you're right. A ton of people came right after me. So like the rest of the damn guys, you and Brian, uh, a, a big group. You know yeah. Trey came. You know Trey Stafford. Yeah. You know uh, a bunch of people came right after. Right after me
0: uh-huh. So yeah
1: There was a moment When all of a sudden You'd go to a barbecue And there's 50 people there And you know everything. Every and same, it looks like a fringe yeah. tent From Orlando it, You're exactly. like This is the best thing ever And the problem was Is for the first year We didn't meet anybody Because we would just go To the same parties With the same people Because we were terrified Because yeah. it's LA It's scary yeah. yeah But then you know Slowly over time We kind of started to Expand our circle And meet mm-hmm. new people And bring new people in. The, and there's so many people That are such dear friends now That I, they just feel like Honorary Orlandoans
0: I do too. Sometimes I'll, I'll look at someone and say, well, you're from Florida, right? And they're like, no, no. I'm not. Oh, okay. You're, you came into the group later. <laughs> right. You know, you just assume everybody's from, from Florida. What was the biggest decision that said, I have to go to LA now? What, what was it for you? I,
1: I there was a moment because right before I moved, I was just doing everything. I was doing completely freelance. I was, I was a film festival programmer. I was assistant casting director. I was doing corporate gigs with them. We were doing our weekend shows, writing and directing plays, short films, um, acting and commercial. I was doing everything. I literally was voted Renaissance Man of Orlando in the Orlando <laughs> Weekly. I didn't Best know that. Best of issue. Steve Schneider voted me Renaissance yeah, Man. Yeah. And there was a moment where I was like, oh, I think, okay. I think maybe it's time. Yeah. And... Um, I had written a script because the thing is, is like writing was always my passion and writing was the last thing that I did in the day. So like between midnight and four in the morning, I would four in the morning, I would like type out screenplays. And I was like, they were always the thing that I had the least amount of time for. Right. And I had written this script called Gifted that was a, a romantic dramedy. And I'd sent it to, um, out here to a, uh, a friend who had been a producer and was then moving his way up the management track, and mm-hmm. his name's Christopher Pratt, and he's from Orlando as well, and and he had read the script and called me up crying. He's like, oh my God, this is it. And it was that moment of like, oh, I think I it's time. It. It's time. And my, our mutual friend, Lena, called me up and was like, yeah. hey. She had just moved out, and she's like, if you're thinking of moving, uh, Kelly Holden, who was, I didn't even know at the time, who yeah. was a, another friend from Orlando, but I'd never met her, had a two-bedroom right. house, her roommate. Peter Vogt was going to Tokyo Disney for six months. So she, was gonna, she was going to have a room for six months furnished in yeah. North Hollywood in a house with a pool. Do you want to move in? And I was like, and I heard myself say yes. And I was like, I can't believe I just said yes. I now can't believe I, I just, do it. now I have to do it. Yeah. And I moved.
0: That's, fe- that's, that's a great yeah. story. I love how, you know, Matt Young, who's one of my closest friends yep. now, who you talked about, mm-hmm. um, was the guy at SAC, what you try to try to explain it for him to be in your sci-fi film. Um, I didn't meet him till here. Oh my gosh. And he's one of my closest friends. I didn't meet Kelly till here, you know, and a lot of those, a lot of the sack people are the people that came out in that first migration. And we were at your apartment. You then had an apartment, right? What's that? Then you had an apartment, I
1: moved in with Katie Ward. We were roommates for two years. So we were at a
0: party at your house and we'd only been in LA a week.
1: Okay. I think I remember that.
0: Yeah. And, um... Uh, Matt Young comes up to us. We don't know. Who he is. comes up to me, and Brian. He says, "Hi, my name is Matt Young." Everybody says we're supposed to know each other already and be really good friends, and that's how our relationship started. Because, you know, it's like a friend of a friend is a friend of mine kind yeah. of kind of thing. But
1: you're also it, it was because you guys were both pillars of your <laughs> part of the Orlando community. Like, mm-hmm. like it was like you guys were both comic giants from this small town, and yet you guys didn't know each other yet. It just uh-huh. I've had that feeling yeah. amongst. It's like once you realize, oh, we're the these are people that do amazing things. They should know each yeah. other, and of course, yeah. you guys are best friends.
0: Now and now we have a wonderful yeah. writers group. Yeah, with, we do. With Matt and Brian and a yeah. whole bunch of folks, and uh, I think a couple people are in there that are not from Orlando. Yeah, I, I, but they little, feel
1: like they're from Orlando. They, they, they feel got, like they're, they're they a in Orlando in their hearts.
0: So, so you're out here, and now you do have movies under your belt. Yeah, um, was the air I breathe the first big? big movie that oh, he yeah, did oh yeah
1: absolutely I, um, uh, I co-wrote that film with the director Jiho Lee uh-huh. and I, when I was a film festival programmer in Orlando he had uh, he had an award winning short film that won an award at our festival and my job was to call him up and bug him to come accept and he did and we just hit it off Yeah. And when I moved to LA, two weeks after I got here, Lena was producing an evening of my one-act plays, and I Uh invited Jiho. And I'm like, nobody ever comes to see your stuff. Especially now that I live in LA. LA. Nobody comes to see anything. But he came, and he saw it, and he was like, he even knew I was a writer. And he was like, I loved your dialogue. Will you help me? I'm going to do my first feature in Korea, so I'm going to write it in English and then translate it. And so he brought me in, and it was four vignettes, and he brought me in just to write one of them. But I kind of helped him with the overall story structure right, and we chatted right. and there came a moment when he had a rough draft of the whole thing and he showed it to me and he was like, I, it's not what I want it to be, but it's almost there. What do you think? And I read it and I was like, just let me do what I want. I know what you what you need it to be. Just give me two weeks. And it was like the craziest two weeks of writing I've ever done and I just I was exhausted by the end of it, but I handed him back a draft and he was like, this is it. And that's mm-hmm. the draft. Um, my manager, Christopher, at the time became his manager and then that was the draft that went out and got us producers and started right. us on this path. But it, it so it was us, originally
0: meant to be a film done in Korea. but It was, it was originally meant to be a, an English. Film. It was supposed
1: to be a Korean film. And then there just came a moment when we were showing it around that we realized, oh wait, we can do this English yeah. language. And Gio had a killer reel and it was really charismatic and had a great plan for the film. And it took us it took us two years to write, two years to get it financed and made, and then another two years in the theater. But first time director got a ten million dollar budget. Uh-huh. Had this insane. Um, uh, ensemble cast. You got Brendan Fraser and Kevin Bacon, Andy Garcia, Sher Michel Geller, Emil Hirsch, Forrest Whitaker before his Oscar.
0: Yeah, and
1: like it it's, was just it's,
0: been, it's a tour de force cast. Yeah, for and sure. it was it was
1: definitely the the biggest moment of my career at yeah. that point.
0: Um, were you on the ground for that for the whole directing of the film as well? Were you on set for the yeah, whole? Yeah, it was of it film? was an amazing
1: experience because like
0: Cause so yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. I mean, what's it like when you you're you're on set? And first of all, it's your film. There, There's that that, that you're dealing with, right. that you're having your movie made. Yeah, You know, there's that. Um, but then you look up and you do see Forrest Whitaker, Kevin Bacon, Sarah Michelle Gellar say words that you wrote and they come out of their mouth. I mean, what was that like for you?
1: It was surreal. It was, it was, it was mind-blowing, especially because writers in Hollywood don't get treated very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't often get to be on the set and be a part of that process, but... Because I wrote the movie with Jiho, he he protected me in that situation, right. and so I was able. To, I was on set every day except for the two days I had food poisoning in Mexico City. <laughs> That's
0: right. The whole thing shot in Mexico, right?
1: Whole thing shot in Mexico City.
0: Yeah.
1: So I was on set every day, and the whole reason it was like Bob needs to be there for rewrites. What if we have to do rewrites? And we did a couple of rewrites, but the script we'd worked on it so hard and it was so tight that I ended up not. Needing to do much rewriting, so I was literally at the monitor with my headphones. I I shot all the behind the scenes footage. I yeah. just made myself useful. I started yeah. blogging and mm-hmm. connected with a bunch of fans and kind of built an audience for the right. film. But it was just like it, it was just a, it was it was truly a dream come true. It yeah. was just the best actors I could imagine saying our words and and, Jiho and my good friend, directing and uh, and it was also an adventure. I mean, we're in Mexico City, yeah. which is a it's the first time I'd spend that much time in a foreign city. It was a very different city, of course, than any place that i would ever visited. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it, you don't get the the true um, experience of a city when you're shooting a movie there because every you're, everybody's on their best behavior. Everybody wants you to love their city, so we got yeah. the red carpet treatment everywhere we went. But also, we just all we met most of the crew was Mex- was from there, and they mm-hmm. were all just. So sincere. They just wanted us to love their city, and and it, I fell in love with it. It was a yeah. beautiful experience. I've never been
0: to Mexico City, but I hear it's absolutely gorgeous. It was. Re- I mean, it's yeah. it's.
1: You look one direction, and there's insane poverty, and it's like so dirty, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh no. And then you look, and you see the most beautiful artwork, and the most mm-hmm. beautiful buildings, and just the the kindest people. Yeah. And so it was it was super inspiring creatively to to be a part of the process and see these actors being you know just to watch them work and create you know, their performances. But then it also was really inspiring me to me to go someplace else and do your work in a beautiful foreign city. So, like, it yeah, was kind of those two yeah. things together that were really inspirational for me. Yeah,
0: yeah. Have you had an experience um, it, um, where it was the opposite of that, where it turned out to be, like, a crappy experience Sunset or...
1: Um, well, the joke is that I've had two feature films produced, Uh um, which I'm very proud of because, you know, it's been, I've had been a professional screenwriter for over a decade and getting two movies produced is is actually pretty good. Um, and I joke about it that my first movie, I was on the set every single day. I was in producer meetings. I was in the editing room. I was a part of the process. My second film, I had to stalk on Twitter. Oh no! <laughs> like literally, I'm like, what's going on today? Ashton Kutcher punched a stunt man. That's sweet. I'm in Burbank in my wearing my robe. So yeah, I was not on set one day for my second film.
0: Yeah, and was that hard? Because I mean, that that's too drastic experience. Too like, drastic experience. Completely different.
1: You know. I was just bummed because they shot in Nice, France, and I really wanted oh, to go. That would have been
0: a nice city to go to. But by that, <laughs> and
1: this is a whole story which we can get into or not, if you want. I've actually I've written about it and blogged about it before. Um, by the time they shot it, it had been substantially rewritten, so the vision of the film was different than what I originally intended. Right. Um, so it was, you know, and they had a different writer on set doing joke punch ups because it had become more of a romantic comedy where I'd intended for it to be more of an action film. Uh huh. Um, and so it was bittersweet, right. but it wasn't heartbreaking. Right. There was a poem, there was a moment when I was able to kind of let it go. and I sent my baby off to college and said, right. grow up and be what you're going to be. And so, right. um,
0: was that a long process for you to go through, to be able to let it go?
1: Luckily it wasn't like, um, the way it happened is. I I I basically optioned the film "The Lionsgate right before the writer's strike. Uh-huh. And they had a director attached. I did a bunch of drafts for that director and turned it in right before the strike. Um, so then by the time the strike was over, they found a second director. And they brought me back on to work with that director. So first of all, it almost never happens that a writer gets to move on and keep working with a new director. right. But then by the time, and I wish that was Phil Giuano, who's a fantastic director, and I got to do several drafts with him, and he taught me a lot about writing studio films. And there was a moment when maybe it was going to be a $40 million movie with The Rock starring with Phil and directing, and that was very much still Mm -hmm. my vision of the movie. And then a new person took over production at Lionsgate. Joe Drake took over, and he just said, you know what? This is a romantic comedy. And just the film just kind of took a turn yeah, and yeah. they and once you once it was that big of a drastic of a turn, they wanted to bring in new writers to kind of embrace the new vision and and so it was a long process yeah. of me kind of from a distance going, Oh, it's changing. Yeah, oh, it's changing a lot. Oh, it's completely different now. But still the same because I still got credit on the movie and it was right. still my story. So it was it wasn't a drastic situation. I saw it happen, and it was incredibly educational yeah. and weird and ve- uh, surreal in a different way. But also, like, I'm so thankful because the you know, like, air I breathe did not get a very much, did not get a very large uh, theatrical release, which was a bummer. This film was on three thousand screens, and yeah. like my friends I went to high school with who lived anywhere in the country could go to their local theater and see, see it see and have a date night broke. and have a good yeah. time. And so yeah. I'm so grateful that it got made and it's still on TV and people still Facebook yeah. me all the time going, oh, I finally saw it. I loved it. Yay. And gratitude's
0: just, important. Oh my gosh. Gratitude's and I, so, very important. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's, that, that's good. And of course, those two experiences um, obviously um, have led you to how you accept how you go through writing now. Yeah. Um, so like the story you told about that film is actually not an uncommon one where no. things change hands right, and right. a new person comes in as head of a department and everything changes. Yeah. So those were probably like super huge lessons for you at the time, but now you're not as surprised when you when you hear something like that. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah. like
1: when people, people will see a movie and it's not very good and they'll blame the screenwriter. Yeah. And I can watch a movie now and sometimes I can feel studio notes Yeah. Just weighing down a writer to where yeah. they can 't do their best work, and yeah. I'm like,
0: yeah,
1: the truth about movies is very rarely do you know who to give credit to and who to blame there's the credits there's mm-hmm. directed by, produced by written by yeah, but you don't know what happened behind the scene, and it's such a crazy
0: that visit. is a fact
1: yeah, it is a fact that and is like
0: a true fact yeah there's very yeah.
1: rarely do you really know who because it's 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 made by committee but <laughs> Uh, it's just, it's, it, the is always more, sometimes more interesting than the film itself. And <laughs> it was, true. you know, truly an educational experience. But honestly, I mean, that's, that's why a lot of writers move into TV.
0: Because
1: uh-huh. with TV, A, you make more stuff, and B, if you can create and run your own TV show, that's one of the few moments in Hollywood where a writer can actually make something and protect their vision.
0: B, that, yeah, that's why that's so true. many writers are that's moving into the television point. world right now. That, that's a very good point now speaking of the television world because you've worked in television too um for a short time um it is screenwriting is that like movies that's still your baby that's still what you want to do i mean compared to like doing a series for the internet doing a series for tv doing movies what are the differences in those experiences and
1: yeah i mean i had i um after killers i was very fortunate i was able to Take a lot of meetings in the future world and the TV world. And I was very, I've just loved TV for quite a while and got yeah. really interested in, in that. And so I wrote a pilot. Um, just to try out the form, just like maybe see if I would be good at this. And it didn't sell, but it got me a ton of meetings. Mm -hmm. And one of them led to me getting a job on White Collar, which Uh was one of my favorite shows at the time. So I got to work in the fourth season. I worked with an amazing writer's room. I got to meet so many great writers. And because I was coming from the feature world, I was like, hey, can you guys teach me how to write TV? And they're like, sure. That's great. Can you tell us about the feature world? What's it like? And so it was an an amazing experience. and. And I was happy to get to work on it. I wasn't even guaranteed an episode. And I got to co-write an episode with Matt Negretti, who's on Walking Dead now. So I got to go be on set and cover our episode for a few days, which that was really cool. Um, So I got a really good um, introduction to working in television. And before then, I'd seen a a panel and um, Melissa Rosenberg, showrunner for Jessica Jones. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, she had, do I have the name right? I, I hope I know. do. I, feel, um, I, I don't hope know. I do. I saw her in a panel and she was talking about when she was working on Dexter as a uh-huh. writer. And then they approached her to write the Twilight movies. And she's like, I don't have time to do this. And her agents were like, Yes, you do. So she would spend six months of the year working on Dexter and six months of the year writing wow. Twilight movies. And a light bulb went over my head like, that's what I want. I want to, I would love to divide my life between both film and TV because I love them both. TV is more immediate gratification, Mm -hmm. a more regular paycheck, you get stuff on the air, features are where my heart has been my entire life. So I still want to make movies and I want to turn my back on movies just because it's a tough time in the movie business right Right. now. So I really do want to balance the two and that's, you know, that Uh one year I worked on White Collar, that's the the one year I made money both in film and TV. That's
0: really neat. So that's kind of like, I I know it can be
1: done. So now that's, I've been developing both film and TV ever since and I'm, got a new pilot making the rounds right now. Yeah. And, you know, I do the web series stuff just because it's fun yeah. because you get so tired sometimes of having to pitch and ask, just, you're asking for permission to write. You're asking to be paid to write. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and even when you haven't sold it, you're getting notes and you're having to adjust what you're pitching or what you're, you know, what you're developing. Right. And so doing the web series with Ben was really just us saying, we just want to do something for ourselves. It's fun. We didn't spend any money on it. We asked our friends for favors, and we made something we were proud of, which was the whole point. Um, but the dream is still you know, to keep writing right. film and television and right. just, to make, just to have a career making work that I'm proud of. That's, right. That's now, now you and
0: Ben also did a lot of theater together. Do you think um, you made a comment, and unfortunately it's true, it is hard to get people um, to come see plays. in Los Angeles, would you ever, you probably don't have time, but would you ever want to write? Play I'm writing okay. two plays right You're, now. You are writing two. That's fantastic.
1: I, I wrote, um, I d- I'm a member of Sacred Fools yes. uh, Theater Company in Hollywood. And i uh, about to have their 20, 20th year anniversary uh, next year. Um, and I'm a proud member. And I've been writing there on and off for a long time, even before I was a member. And they have a late night show called Serial Killers.
0: Which is super fun. Saturday nights,
1: yeah. five shows enter, three shows leave. So it's five ongoing serials. The audience kills two shows. The, next, the surviving shows get to do a new episode the following week where then two new pilot episodes go up against them. So you have to be on your game because the audience can kill you at any moment. And they always do, at the end of the season, they do a big playoffs where they put the top 16 shows against the round robin and they eventually crown a champion. And that champion gets to finish their story uh-huh. along with the runner-up. And last season, so I, I've never made it past top six. I've always getting voted out. And I'm always like, ah. And this last season... Late in the season, I just just had this weird idea, and I wrote a show, an action comedy called All the Best Killers Are Librarians. (laughs) And it was super fun. And Ben's wife, uh, Alicia Conway Rock, directed it, and she was a genius. And my wife, Jen, played the evil librarian, Oh, that's fantastic. And we won. We won that's the playoffs, fantastic. and so I took that. I took that show, and I I I I wrote it into a play, uh-huh. and so that's a, it's going to be like an hour long show and talk about first circle. We're going to produce it at the Hollywood Fringe. Wow, <laughs> that's June. fantastic! I can't wait. <laughs> I
0: am. I am. Yeah. So there, it's so awesome that you still have that passion. Absolutely. You know, for for the stage and everything. And, and speaking of passion, yeah. how's that first segue? Oh, no, I no, like but... it. Well done. Um, something that's not even about. Um, art or, or creating is that you are really, really, really into Kenpo. Yeah. Into martial, martial, martial arts, martial, yeah. yeah. Um, which is a very different... Can you explain what Kenpo is compared to other martial arts?
1: Jeez, Kenpo is a, it's a combination of a, a hard style Japanese martial art and like a more fluid uh, Chinese like Kung right. Fu. It's kind of those styles combined. And so it's... It's interesting to do this with just words and not, because usually I can, yeah, do you can. A, I can do a couple of moves and go, oh, it's different. Basically, um, it's when you're fighting an opponent, you, you're using uh, combinations of blows. Uh-huh. So using kicks and punches, multiple blows coming at once, you do lots of, there's no like set techniques where it's like, if this person does this, then I'm going to do that. It's very improvisational, honestly. Yeah. So it's like being able to react to any situation and what it's really about, especially at the dojo where I train, which is the AKMA, the Association of Kempo Martial Artists in Burbank. Check oh. them out. They're amazing. <laughs> um, they, it's all about the spiritual energy of martial arts which is about creating yourself to be bigger than the situation you're facing. Right. So, you know, somebody comes at me and they want to fight me, well I'm gonna I'm gonna come at there with the energy of like, I'm gonna hurt you. So I do that not to like bully somebody, but to let somebody know that I'm willing to take it all the way.
0: Yeah.
1: And basically to not have to fight.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And so that's so we we train that's the the spiritual training we do. We do the physical and the mental training so that our bodies and minds are prepared to fight. And it's all about, you know, combinations of blows and blocks and, and um, but also just being bigger than the fight and being right. bigger than your opponent. Well,
0: I read that um, it's mostly a series of like defensive techniques because, um, and correct, obviously I don't do this martial arts, so correct me, please. And that um, um, it's not focused on how to start a fight, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you, you never want to start a fight. Did you look up because it sounds like a keto, which you're saying. No, it was kempo. Kempo? Yeah,
0: it was kempo. Yeah. But then it... it did go on to say that there's many different schools of thought. There are
1: there are you many know, different schools. Yeah. It's it's a it's a hard martial art. It is punching and kicking and yeah. crushing. It is the kind of martial art that if people jumped if the apocalypse happened, Audrey right now and people uh-huh. broke into your home with a bunch of pipes and wanted to kill you and I I'm a sweet dude. And uh-huh. I would still be like, I am gonna have to do what I have to do, and it's it's a martial art that teaches you how to kill somebody. Right. In that very rare opportunity, not opportunity,
0: <laughs> <laughs> in that wonderful rare opportunity, what a Freudian
1: violent slip. <laughs> in that very rare moment when you have to do it, yeah. And so yeah. it's 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 a martial art that's it is a very hard. And the yeah. thing is, is like I'm the sweetest dude in the world, so when people find out you. They see the kind of martial art I study. But also, I found the right dojo because our dojo, like I said, it comes from a place of the last thing you ever want to do is get in a fight.
0: Yeah.
1: But also, to be a person of peace, you have to let violent people know, I can take it there if you want to go there. Right. Let's just not take it there. Let's figure out a different way to deal with our thing. So, it's really, it's a very, the philosophy and the spirit of it is what keeps me going. And it's kept me going for close to seven years. I tore my ACL doing it three months <laughs> ago and got surgery. Yeah. So I'm halfway through my physical therapy. I got three more months. By the way, kneeling before Odd for this long on a surgerized knee, not fun. But Look, I'm, I'm sorry. But it's I'm part, doing it.
0: It's part of the podcast. I'm doing it's it. It's part for, of the podcast where you have to kneel. I'm doing it for Audrey. You knew, you knew, you knew, it, you're doing it for me. I'm doing it out we're of friends. respect. We're, we're okay? friends. <laughs> that that – um. Do you think, and this is, you know, as you know, and I've discussed this. I discuss this all the time. I have OCD, and so I'm very uh, lists and rules are right. in my head, and yep. that's why I'm not a good improviser. Is because I need to know yep. everything before it happens okay. and everything. That makes sense. Do you think um, that you, your improvisational mind, the way your brain works, does help in Kempo? I mean, even though they're two two totally different things, because if you you have someone coming out you with blows, is it just human instinct, the defensive? moves that you use yeah. or is it
1: it's it's the thing to me is like improv Kempo our creative lives I feel it's all connected right because what what improv teaches you is to not be precious about your ideas
0: uh-huh. yeah
1: you throw you just th- you throw it against the wall because it's like if you don't like this idea it's okay because I've got another hundred right behind it uh-huh. so that helps me you know it helps me in my writing helps you in a writer's room 100% when you're working on a TV show because you're always throwing ideas. And it helps you in a fight. Because mm-hmm. if some guy comes at you in a certain way and you've trained a specific technique and then your foot slips and you fall down and all of a sudden I can't do my technique, well, I'm not done. I can still fight. I've right. still got a 100 different things I can do. Right. And it's all connected. It's all, it's all coming from your heart. As long as your heart and your spirit are in the right place and you're doing things for the right reason, then you should be able to kind of... To improvise in any moment, whether you're on stage, whether you're in a writer's mm-hmm. room, whether you're in a fight for your life or the fight, right. whether you're protecting your loved ones. It, it's all connected to me.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's fascinating. Yeah. It's a very fascinating philosophy. Um, so with all that, with all that you do to enrich your life and, and focus, you know, it sounds like Kempo brings right. a lot of focus, and, and, which is something you need in writing. Um, when you are writing from your office... What's the first thing you do when you go in to sit down? Because you, know, you wake up, no one wants to go to work when they wake up right. sometimes. And sometimes you're tired, sometimes you're this. So is there are there any exercises or do you just start writing?
1: No, I, I waste time on the internet.
0: You do? Yeah. So you do waste time? I, oh, on yeah,
1: the- yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I check my email and my Facebook and Twitter. And, and honestly, lately I do a lot of, I run the Twitter account for 20 Seconds to Live, which... Uh-huh. Used to take a lot of work, and now there's a little bit less. But yeah. I still I take about 20, 30 minutes a day yeah. to just kind of check in with the site and set up some posts for the day, and you know um, you know reach out yeah. to fans that have, that have that have been connecting with us, which is really cool. So I, I have some general time wasting stuff that right. I do. Right. Lately, I have a brand new thing, which um, I used to waste most of my morning to the point where I'd have to get really angry at myself. And then I would start writing. Right. I have a new thing that I started doing just two weeks ago that really works. I go in, I, I do my, I waste a little bit of time, but then I, I write some theater. I write wow. one of my plays.
0: Interesting. Like
1: right now I'm adapting an old screenplay of mine that never got made uh, into a play. Uh-huh. And I'm doing it through the workshop program that they have at Sacred Fools, but I'm on a deadline, so... And I'm like, well, I don't want to take a whole day and work on my play because then I can't do my professional work. So I I do like – I write theater for 90 minutes or two hours – excuse me – in the morning. Uh And that gets my mind kind of jazzed up. But then it's also like, well, I got to get right to my professional work because I've only got so much time left in the day. And so I don't know if I could do that if I was like on a a much more difficult professional deadline where it's like – I got to be writing 10 hours a day or something, uh-huh. but at the moment it's working, working out great. So it's kind of almost working like I warm you. up with theater, which is just fun and easy and passionate. Right. And then I get to the professional work, which can be challenging and difficult, but that's the job. Yeah. So that's kind of what I do. I've been doing it lately and it's working so it's far. working. I like it. Yeah.
0: I like it. Well, we're just about out of time. Um, I just, I meant to ask you about music earlier, just because, um, you and my husband share some music. I mean like certain <laughs> kinds of music and right, stuff like right. that that I didn't even know Brian was Well it's in- funny like
1: I've never I've I've seen a million concerts uh, and, I, and I have like my concert friends. Uh-huh. I don't think I've ever been to a show with Brian.
0: I don't think you ha- I don't think you have either. And um I never knew how much he was into metal. Yeah. I mean like 10 years into our relationship, you right. know, I you know, and then um I got into his car one day we had to switch cars and when I turned it on it was it was Dio. Uh-huh. It was like full blast yeah. but, and I came in the house I was like man I didn't know you liked Dio and he's like oh because he was having a very rough season at this TV show he was right, working right. on and that's what that was. he was doing that was the keeping him sane is blaring metal on mm-hmm. the way to work the 15 minutes to work and the 15 minutes back <laughs> and everything and then he said that you're well a, I a yeah I,
1: I grew yeah. up on, on hair metal so yeah. that was my favorite stuff on high school hair metal like yeah. classic rock yeah. so that was my favorite stuff growing up and then I've kind of segued, so I listen to a lot of different music now. Uh-huh. So like, there's the music I drive to, the music I write to. You know, I love Radiohead. Yeah. I love like Sigur and yeah. You know,
0: well, here's you just you just remind me of a, a question. Uh, so, here's three three different situations. Right. If you were if you had a couple hours to drive down like a beautiful stretch of road, right, and it was relaxing, the scenery, everything, what would you want to listen to?
1: Um. That would be like one of the more kind of ethereal stuff I listen to when I'm writing, like Cigarettes. Like Cigarettes
0: or something like that, uh, right. You know. What about if you're in a super great mood and no one's at home, yeah. it's just you, right. you can play music as loud as you want, you just feel like jamming to something, Whether you are going to play? Yeah, right like
1: there? Iron Maiden. You could be Iron or, Maiden. Or punk rock. I used, I used to listen to a lot more punk, punk rock than I do now, but uh-huh. uh, some, some Maiden is right. always good. For what about LA Traffic? What's that? LA Traffic. Uh LA traffic I just listen to um just alt rock I I'll listen to a good I I'll listen to a a satellite station with a lot of different bands that I right, like
0: right. so I listen
1: to just you know alternative rock or like flashback uh-huh. you know just so I can it keeps it different cuz I'm listening to lots of different bands
0: That's so great. Right. Like,
1: yeah. I love it. Yeah.
0: I love it. Uh well thank you so much for sitting down with me for this hour Bob.
1: You mean kneeling down?
0: Kneeling down. I Thank you for kneeling. I, I thought it was going to be a deal breaker, but I can't. No. I can't break my my, my pattern because I have OCD. And if I break my pattern and people don't kneel, then and by the, the way, I didn't, I didn't mean
1: to insinuate that if people it was the apocalypse that we wouldn't be fighting together.
0: Yeah, <laughs> if they were coming, I
1: know I, I would trust you, Audrey. We'd have each other. I would do backs. my
0: best. You would have to take the bulk because I don't have any. Training, not yeah. any martial arts training. But but, but um, you got
1: the heart. and the heart. And the heart. heart is the most important thing in a fight. I got
0: heart and passion.
1: You got heart and passion.
0: And I know I'd want to survive. Yeah. And I know i want to survive with you. Absolutely. So there you go. we survive together. Where can we find you on social media? You said 20 Seconds to Live at... Oh,
1: at, at 20STL uh-huh. is uh, our Twitter feed. Um, I am at thembob on Twitter. Uh, them is my old improv <laughs> troupe. Yeah. So T-H-E-M as and Mary, B-O-B. At them Bob on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook, and you can yeah. also follow Twenty Seconds to Live on Facebook if you want.
0: Right, where where for people who are going to go watch Twenty Seconds to Live for the first time, where should they go first? Facebook, YouTube. I uh, you no, know, I'd say
1: go to Arescope because yeah. I mean they they present us and they 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 sponsor us. They I mean they were you know they were our champions from the very beginning. So please right. go check it out and watch all their content. Uh, but Arescope. Is the only thing about Arescope? It's a little tougher to watch on your phone. So if you're okay. going to watch on your phone, then maybe Facebook. Uh-huh. But um, but please check out Arescope because they've been they've been very good to us.
0: Excellent. I'm looking forward to a season two. Us too. All right. Thanks, Bob.
1: Thank you, Audrey. Supplicants, you may now rise. The merciful odd has chosen to spare you. Please exit the internet to your left.